This week on Geek Explained, we're wrapping up June the same way we started it, with Superman. Join us for our latest Geek Explained spotlight on Superman Up in the Sky. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our latest edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight. Ah, that feels so good to say. We haven't done a Geek Explained Spotlight in a little while here, so I'm really excited about today's episode, and especially excited because our featured graphic novel for this edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight is a graphic novel that I kind of passed on the first time I heard of it. And I know that sounds crazy because it's a Superman book, but it was something that I had to kind of come back to. I waited until it was all collected so I could get the collected edition. I read it, and I'm going to be talking about it today because our latest Geek Explained Spotlight is on Tom King and Andy Kubert's Superman Up in the Sky. We also have the latest weekly review on the newest episode of Harley Quinn, as well as, of course, this week's comics callback. But before we get into all of that, Let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, we got some news for you this week. Of course, we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with the miscellaneous news. Uh... First piece of uh, big miscellaneous news, I'll just get it out of the way. Um, we unfortunately saw the passing of director Joel Schumacher. If you are familiar with Joel Schumacher's work, you know that he was the director for films like The Lost Boys, as well as films like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And even though those films I have uh, come to respect over time, um, Schumacher really uh, did not get his due following those films for the uh, kind of interesting, zany, uh, and at, you know, to be honest, groundbreaking directorial style that he had, you know, prior to those films. And he always took the criticisms for those films in stride, um, and with a good amount of humor as well. Uh, it's sad. Uh, he passed away at the age of 80, and um, it's it's a shame. He was a visionary for his time, worked with plenty of people, put out a lot of really, really good films, and two that were probably what ended up defining his career. So um, rest in peace to Joel Schumacher, and... Uh, good vibes and love sent out to his family during this difficult time. Uh, moving on to further uh, miscellaneous news, these next three pieces are going to be all game news. Uh, first off, uh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed yet again. 
Um, originally, it was you know, it's been delayed. I think twice now. I think this makes three times. I don't know, but um, Cyberpunk has officially been delayed till November. Uh, CD Projekt Red basically put out a uh, a statement saying that ready when it's or it's like it's ready when it's finished is not just like a saying to sound cool it's what we live by and we want to make sure that we put out the best game possible so i respect that i respect them for making that choice and i will be really excited to pick up cyberpunk whenever it comes out uh another game that got we these next two are uh game announcements kind of following in the vein of all the announcements made last week uh pokemon snap is coming back i just i think that's hilarious uh it's going to be coming to the switch of course and it's really interesting i don't know if you guys remember this but when the first pokemon snap came out uh blockbusters were still around and you could take your um your data from your uh your copy of Pokemon Snap, and you could go to these kiosks in Blockbuster and get them printed out. Um, I think that would be a really cool thing if they did that at like GameStop or something, where you could print out your uh, your snaps. But it's, I mean, Pokemon at this point is like a juggernaut, and they it was only a matter of time before they brought something back like nostalgic like this. And speaking of nostalgia, the final piece of miscellaneous news is that we have a new Crash Bandicoot game coming uh crash bandicoot 4 or crash bandicoot it's about time uh, is going to be coming out this year it looks gorgeous um it's another crash bandicoot game and it's being uh done by the studio and the team that did the original trilogy and i'm really excited about it crash bandicoot was a huge franchise for me growing up and i'm glad that it's going to be coming to next gen consoles uh possibly playstation 5 and xbox uh, series x and people of all generations are now going to be able to enjoy crash bandicoot in all of his glory uh moving on to comics news this is um this is serious this is a serious uh, thing that I want to talk about uh, because in the past week we have seen this um, just explosion of speaking out there's been a whole hashtag speaking out all this stuff where um, across every industry uh, you have seen people speaking up about their experiences with sexual harassment and sexual assault and the comics industry is uh, something that I think a lot of people kind of like to imagine is Teflon when it comes to that kind of stuff. Because it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of nerds working together on stuff. But um, just like any industry, there are... Uh, I hate to use this term, but I can't think of it a better term right now off the top of my head. There are bad apples that really... Um, screw people over and treat people horribly and i'm glad that people are speaking out with their experiences and exposing people from all walks of life and all industries who don't who shouldn't be let off the hook for the things that they're doing uh one big name coming out of the comic side of this is warren ellis warren ellis is a just a giant in the industry and it's surprising to hear all of the stuff about him but the stuff that has been said and the accusations sent his way are pretty harrowing stuff and in this kind of situation regardless of whether it's in comics whether it's in tv whether it's in sports whatever um i always take the stance that you believe the accuser it's there's no 
benefit to uh, bringing up traumatic stuff besides being able to put a spotlight on this person and hopefully uh, prevent them from giving that experience to somebody else. There are, I think, situations where people have used that kind of belief of believing the accuser to their advantage, and it's unfortunate when that does happen. But in this moment, as me, as a person, my personal opinion, I tend to believe the accuser and the abused because they have gone through something traumatic and the only reason that they would be coming forward with this is to hopefully prevent their abuser from preying on somebody else. So in this time, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that people are becoming cognizant of that they really um, might have been uh, ignorant or naive to uh, prior to this, but Take the time, listen, make sure that you are giving people who are coming forward with their stories the benefit of the doubt. I know that there are some people who are like, well, you know, I've never heard this person acting this way and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I I know what that's like. I have had people in my walk of life who I could not believe would treat someone some way. And when... It was revealed that they were an abuser. You know, you have to take ownership of your stance on these things. For me, as Eric, as one nerd just kind of shouting into the void that is a podcast, um, listen. Listen, support the people who are coming forward. They are not giving up their experiences just to screw somebody over. They are stepping forward and reliving something that's traumatic um, to hopefully prevent someone from experiencing the same thing. I want to make my position very clear. Um, If you are someone who has suffered from this, if you have a story, I will always listen. I am always here to talk. Um, I will support you. And hopefully with enough people stepping forward, with this situation being taken seriously and abusers being you know, dragged kicking and screaming into the light in front of everybody, we can start to make not just the comics industry, but every industry more inclusive, more welcoming, and just better overall. So that is what I have to say about that. Uh, Moving on to TV news, just one piece of TV news. Uh, Hellstrom is still alive and kicking. I know a lot of people were not... Uh, including myself, not sure exactly what was going to happen. Um, it was supposed to be this kind of like um, directive onto Hulu paired with Ghost Rider for their Adventures into Fear uh, block, but then Ghost Rider got canceled. The other Hulu shows got canceled. Um, I think that was Howard the Duck, uh, Tiger and Dazzler. I think I'm missing one, um, but. It's official. Hellstrom is going to be debuting uh, on Hulu in October. They have announced it, that it will be part of the streaming service's big, you know, Halloween uh, block when October rolls around. Uh, MODOK is also still happening. We don't know when that's going to come out, but we do know that Hellstrom is coming out in October. Uh, Basically, for those of you who don't know, Hellstrom follows the titular character along with his sister Satana, who I guess is just Anna in this, um, as they basically go on Supernatural, except both of them are the son of Satan. 
Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know how they're going to play with that as they go along, but I'm interested. We'll see what happens. They already have a cast. They've already filmed it. Um, at least the pilot. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then moving on to film news, some big film news for this week. Uh, first off, two big trailers, or three technically, uh, three big trailers that came out. First off, The King's Man. This is the Kingsman prequel, kind of chronicling the beginning of that super spy organization. I think it looks great. It's fantastic. I think it's happening during World War One. I. I might be wrong. It could be World War Two, but it's one of the world wars. It looks really good. The visuals are stunning. I'm really excited to check it out. We also got a trailer for Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. You remember that cartoon that was, supposed, that was on CW Seed? Well, they're basically collecting it, and I think it's going to be paired with like another because I think this was like 40 minutes and then they're going to put another 40 minutes on it to make it like a 80 to 90 minute uh, animated film. So if you watch the show, you'll know what happens for the first half, but the creators have said that the back half is entirely original. So I don't know, but um, this is the one where Michael Chiklis is voicing Deathstroke, which I think is mwah, chef's kiss, perfect casting when it comes to voice acting. Uh, so I'll be checking it out when it does end up dropping. And then finally for trailers, we got the big trailer for Hamill film. Uh, the film, it's not an adaptation. It's basically the filming of the Broadway production of Hamilton, which is dropping on Disney Plus on July 3rd. It releases next week. I'm so excited as someone who never got to see Hamilton live and might not ever because of this pandemic. Um, I'm really excited to check this out, especially with the entire original cast returning for this. I'm really, really looking forward to it. If you haven't checked out the trailer, um, it's great. It's fantastic. I, as someone who has committed almost the entire soundtrack to memory at this point, what I was blown away by this trailer. The uh, music, the orchestration, where they blended a couple different songs. It's going to be great, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. To, uh, to watching it next week. But the big piece of news for the week, the big uh, awesome piece of news is that um, you remember you remember that you remember those two films at the very end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, Batman, Batman Returns, uh, directed by Tim Burton. First one had uh, Jack Nicholson playing the Joker. Second one had Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Um, there was one other guy in that film. I can't remember. Michael Keaton as Batman may be returning in the uh, Annie Machete Ezra Miller flash film. The film that we all said was basically on life support and might never come out came out swinging this week by um, basically dropping the news that Michael Keaton is in talks to return as Batman. Um, I've seen some people being like, oh, it's basically going to be Flashpoint. He's going to be Thomas Wayne Batman. No, I am not. I, anyone who thinks that, you're wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know what this film is. I have no insider knowledge. I'm just a guy. But to even toy with the idea that Michael Keaton, who played an iconic version of Bruce Wayne, would come back to play Flashpoint Thomas Wayne Batman is just you're out of your you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. This is going to be Batman, I'm assuming. Uh, multiverse shenanigans will be involved. So essentially, we're going to have three Batman running around uh, pretty soon here with Robert Pattinson's young Batman. 
um, Ben Affleck's older Batman in Snyder Cut and the even older Batman by Michael Keaton in the Flash film whenever it ends up coming out. I think it's supposed to be 2022, but we'll see. Um, I'm on board. I'm on board. I had no hype for this film until you brought on, until you invoked the name of Michael Keaton. Uh, This also, rumor is that he's signing on for multiple films, so we could see older Bruce Wayne... um, popping up for things i'm not gonna say batman beyond but you know the implication is batman beyond um i'm really excited i'm just over the moon about this i'm really really looking forward to seeing what they do with him and how he affects the story but that wraps up all of the news for this week and as we transition from a story about batman we transition into a story about superman with our latest geek Explain spotlight on superman and up in the sky. So I'm going to start off this edition of the Geeksplain Spotlight with something a little bit different. An actual spoiler warning. I know, it's crazy. Every time that I do something like this, whether I'm talking about a movie, a TV show, a comic, whatever, um, I get like halfway through the discussion and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably I should probably say, you know, spoilers. But I am being proactive this time around, jumping right ahead and saying spoilers. There are going to be heavy spoilers in this. If you haven't read Superman Up in the Sky by Tom King and Andy Kubert, go read it. Come back and we'll discuss. This is your spoiler warning. If you haven't read the book and you continue to listen without reading the book, you will be spoiled. And this is a story that I think you should experience uh, blind. You should go in not knowing anything and go into it. So feel free to pause this, go read the book, come back, and we will discuss. But of course, this is our latest edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight series. This is where every single month, well, almost every month, um, I spotlight a different uh, comic run, a different graphic novel, a different one shot, a different comic that is near and dear to my heart and that I really want to talk about. And this month, we're going to be talking about Superman Up in the Sky by Tom King and Andy Kubert. Uh, this was originally supposed to be, um, well, this originally was part of the big Walmart uh exclusive comics that they did for batman and superman that didn't end up settling very well so they ended up just releasing these as single issues and then collected it all i waited to uh pick this up until it was all collected because i wanted to check it out in one go and boy oh boy am i glad that i did so kicking this off i want to talk a little bit about tom king Tom King is a writer who has garnered a lot of attention when it comes to comic book fans in recent years. Um, Some of his previous works that really just kind of lit comics on fire um, include The Omega Men, which people loved. Uh, Nobody bought it, but people loved it, myself included. I have the 
Ultimate Hardcover Edition sitting on my desk right now. Um, and he really caught attention from a lot of people with his limited series, The Vision. Uh, Vision is a 12-issue uh, maxi-series that just kicked everybody over. They were not prepared for it, and Tom King just kind of came out of the gate running as a comic writer to look out for. And when he decided to sign basically an exclusivity deal, not really like a... He was still available to do his uh, his creator-owned stuff. But when he jumped over to DC Comics, they gave him the Batman. With the big DC rebirth push, Tom King was settled right into the thick of it by writing arguably DC's flagship character, which is Batman. He was taking up the reins from Scott Snyder, who had just finished up a seminal run, an iconic run on the character and there was a lot of pressure and tom king came out of the corner swinging for the fences and i was really impressed by his work with batman but as time started to kind of go on in his batman run people started to see the cracks people started to um cause dissension uh in the ranks when it came to his batman and the issue number 50 the wedding issue just divided the comics community straight down the middle and after that, Tom King was kind of put under a microscope. During this time, he put out uh, Mr. Miracle, which I think is one of the best comics I've ever read, period, full stop. Uh, he also continued to put out his creator-owned work, Sheriff of Babylon. He jumped in and out of different uh, characters, making spotlight cameos, all of that stuff. And during this time, people really started to, like, kind of jump on his back and beat him down for the fact that he was kind of giving us uh, a different story with Batman, but I thought a very interesting story. And it all kind of came to a head with Heroes in Crisis. Heroes in Crisis was the story that really turned a large bit of the fan base of not just DC, not just Batman, but DC Comics in general against Tom King for the choices that he made and the spotlight that he put on mental health in that comic. I have talked about it before. I think it's an incredibly moving yet flawed story. It's not perfect by any means, and it's something that people are going to mostly, I think, look back on in disgust rather than in uh, reverence, but it was something that definitely kind of shook the world when it came to the comics industry, and as this was all going on, something else started to happen. Uh, we saw the debut of probably the biggest you know talent acquisition from dc comics in a very long time in brian michael bendis bendis was jumping ship from marvel to dc after being with the company for god at least 20 years at this point um and it was a huge deal it was a huge deal that he was coming in and immediately when he came in he said i want to write superman um, I was very against this because this came right at the peak of the Tomasi Gleason Superman Rebirth run, and I never wanted that to end. I love that run on the character. It's probably my favorite modern run on the character, and when they announced that 
Bendis was basically stealing it out from under them, I was very, very frustrated. And as his run on Superman kind of kicked into high gear i got even more frustrated because it was clear to me that bendis didn't want to um he didn't want to write the character that we had spent time building up over the course of rebirth he wanted to reset everything and write the superman that he wanted to write which he's brian michael bendis he can do whatever he want but it did not endear his writing or his version of superman to me whatsoever and i kind of dropped off the book so as these two kind of polar opposite writers were dealing with these two polar opposite characters um dc decided that hey we are going to do something a little crazy and we're going to have you guys switch for this you know walmart super giant sized book and so brian michael bendis jumped over to batman for batman universe alongside the art of nick darrington and superman was going to be helmed by the team of tom king and andy kubert now i am a huge fan of nick darrington and so when the batman universe Uh, book jumped into comic shops when they were releasing them single issues i picked up every single issue despite my um reservations with bendis just in general when it came to his dc comics work and i really really enjoyed it but when i saw that uh tom king's superman up in the sky was coming to comic book shops i hesitated because i wasn't sure exactly what i was in for with this story now uh superman up in the sky and batman universe have very similar premises in that they are universe spanning stories involving two of dc's powerhouse icons but the way that the stories are treated is very different um and you can see that pretty much up front as soon as you crack open an issue from either book now i had a lot of expectations going into this book i have never been a huge fan of andy kubert's art i know it's shocking it's uh it's heresy it's all those words but i i don't know what it is about andy kubert's work whether i feel like he's too I don't know, similar to Frank Miller's really blocky, um, really blocky style. It's like if you blended uh, Frank Miller with like Jim Lee for me. Um, And I like both. Well, okay, I like Jim Lee's art, but I've never been on board with Frank Miller as an artist. And I think Andy Kubert's art reminds me too much of him. And that's unfortunate because Andy Kubert is just a legend when it comes to comic books um and i was still you know kind of hesitant even though i am still a huge fan of tom king i didn't know how he was going to treat superman uh the meme at this point is you know tom king all you need to do to write a tom king comic is take a really happy superhero stand him in front of a window while it's raining and let him be depressed like that's kind of like it's your basic, you know, four dummies guide to write a Tom King book. And he's leaned into it and all that stuff. But I wasn't sure how he was going to tackle Superman because we have seen over the years, especially in the last decade, how writers decide, oh, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make a sad Superman. I'm going to make a mean Superman. And it 
ends up not being new or innovative. It just becomes something that doesn't feel like Superman. It just feels like an attempt to take something that people love and try to make new Coke out of it. And for me, just like with new Coke, classic Coke will always be the version of Superman that I prefer. And so coming into this, I had some expectations. I was like, if they are going to do this character right, this has to be a classic version of Superman. I don't want this, you know, hyper-violent, sad, you know, Zack Snyder Superman. I want Superman. And so I told myself, if I open this book up and I don't get, you know, immediately engrossed in the story from the first issue, I'm going to put it down and I'm going to not read it. And so I opened up the first issue and the premise of the book is basically this little girl gets captured by this alien threat and is taken into the far reaches of space. Superman has to decide whether he's going to go after this little girl. And of course, because he's Superman, he goes after her. And what follows are 12 episodes, 12 parts of the story where Superman is traveling the entire length of the universe to find this one little girl. And reading that premise, I thought to myself, well, yeah, it's Superman. And so I was engrossed immediately i was enthralled i was um completely invested in the story from the get-go and thankfully i will say you know i've i talked just now about andy kubert's art but it's actually really really good in here i don't know what it is about um this book that i you know, just haven't been able to connect to with other stories that feature Andy Kubert's art. But this one really spoke to me. The art is gorgeous. Each um, each part feels like it's gen- generally trying to take this, um, this established version of Superman and put him into different uh, visual environments, which makes sense because he's going throughout an entire galaxy, throughout an entire universe... And as he travels, the uh, environment's going to change. The scenery's going to change. And each issue is gorgeous. The backgrounds are fantastic. The alien designs are amazing. And every single time Superman shows up, I look at it and I'm like, that's Superman. Is there a little bit of um, reliance on shadows when it comes to uh, faces? Absolutely. Especially when it comes to like, oh, this guy looks angry, so I got to put some big shadows on his face. But I really think that this is one of Kubert's best best illustrated stories in a very long time. And if you're a visual reader like me, who can easily get turned off from a book if the art doesn't speak to you, um, this is something that I think you're really going to enjoy. But with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive into part one of Superman Up in the Sky. Um, What I love about this first part is that this story honestly could stand alone by itself as just a character piece on Superman on what 
this first part does accomplishes and tells the reader this could be a standalone one-shot story and basically what happens this little girl named alice gets abducted by aliens that take her into the sky and into the far reaches of the universe superman is called by batman because this happened in gotham city and when he goes to the hospital to talk to uh the little girl he says you know where did where did this creature take your sister? She points up and she says, up in the sky. And so we get this, you know, it's very cinematic in that way. And I really liked it. Um, and what follows is this entire issue could, doesn't immediately show Superman just leaving to go get this girl, which I could easily see happening as well. But I really like that they took the time to have Clark decide on what he um what he should do i had a great conversation uh with a good friend of mine good brother the podcast kanan who was on uh anime about the um, opportunity cost when it comes to superman and how that's an interesting part of the character that doesn't get touched on enough and i think this entire part is dedicated to talking about the opportunity cost for for uh for superman in this idea of like, hey, if I go, I rescue this girl because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm Superman, but I don't know how I don't know how long I'm going to be gone, and the Earth needs me. So he's like talking to Batman about it. He's talking to Wonder Woman about it. He's talking to Lois about it. And what I love is he goes and he talks to Pa about it. They're on the farm. Um, meanwhile, what I love about this and what I think is reflected kind of throughout the entire story is that all of the action is almost um, glossed over. It breezes by all of the action is in these just these gigantic splash pages which look fantastic and really sell superman as this incredibly um dangerous force when it comes to battles but a lot of the action is just kind of like moved over to get to the character moments and i love that i really really like that and that's something that i think is much more easily accomplished in comic books than it is in any other genre uh, when it comes to translating how Superman can work in stories like this. But his conversation with Pa is just, oh, it's so good. Because he's basically talking to him. He's like, somebody will find her. Clark has kind of resigned himself to this idea. He's like, I can't leave the Earth. They need me every single day. And I can't leave to go after this one girl. And he's like, the Green Lantern Corps has an APB out on her. They are looking for her. Someone will find her. And then there's this silence and Pa goes, unless they don't. And this little girl is going to be waiting for someone to rescue her and no one's going to find her. And you are going to kick yourself every single day from now until you're gone because you didn't go find this little girl. And then it's just, uh, it's, that's, what's, that's what Pa is there for. That's what Pa does. He gives clark perspective and so the next conversation he has is with lois he's kind of started this um the gears have started turning and he's he's starting to make up his mind that he's going to go and lois has this moment and i've just it's one of my favorite moments in the entire story where she goes you can't save everyone and clark goes i know but i but maybe i can save her and it's like, it's so, like, that's Superman. That's Superman. That, that was the moment that I looked at this and I was like, okay, you've got me for the next 12 parts. Um, you've got me for this entire story because that's Superman. It doesn't matter how 
how the odds are stacked against him if he could save one person he's going to try so the end of this part basically shows him deciding i'm going to go save this little girl and he rockets off into space part two is really interesting it finds uh superman on ran and he is talking to a scientist they are basically trying to track the uh the zeta beams that had a hand in uh, abducting Alice. And so Superman is tasked with being linked up to this machine to track the Zeta beams and get a lead on where she went. And the scientist is basically telling him like, hey, just so you know, we put up a supercomputer that is way above your pay grade when it comes to intelligence and tried to have it follow these Zeta beams and it basically sputtered and died while saying i can't and superman's like okay cool link me up let's do this and it's like superman doesn't care he doesn't care if his mind could be fried he could be ended because he is going to find this little girl with every last breath in his body and what follows i think i have you know, I've read it through, you know, once and I kind of cherry picked. I went, I skimmed it again to get ready for this episode. I'm pretty sure this is like a simulation. It's basically uh, Clark's um, mind trying to um, adapt to all of the information that he's getting. So he's getting flashes of something that either didn't happen or I don't know. It's it's it plays with reality a little bit because um superman after kind of linking up this machine he's back on earth and um there's this aspect of it that i love because it talks about consequences um there's this little boy who jumps off of the roof of his house because he's a huge fan of superman and he wants to fly like him and he ends up falling critically injuring himself and ultimately dying inside of the hospital and superman does not take this very well um he is just he's an example he's come to grips with the idea that he's an example that people um look to and that he has to deal with the consequences of being somebody that people look up to uh he has this conversation with wonder woman where he's like i have to quit and she's like you why and he's like because think about it like i am this symbol and if people you know try to do this again like i could be responsible for all of these people getting hurt and wonder woman's like dude like people idolize you of course they're gonna try again and it's like this weird like it's the only it's one of those things that i think um is how you do superheroes in the real world correctly you deal with the consequences, you deal with the idea that, oh, these people might idolize, you know, superheroes in the same way that people idolize celebrities or TikTok people or whatever, and they will try to emulate them. And what that does to not just the image, but also to the ideology of the people that they're trying to emulate. And I think it's fascinating that they go through this and Superman, you know, goes through this existential crisis on should I continue to be Superman if it could cause other people to get hurt? And then it kind of like, I will say it never really answers the question because then it kind of shifts to Clark having this conversation with this little girl on a park bench. And as they're finishing this conversation, he's like, oh, I didn't catch your name. She's like, oh, I should have told you before. It's Alice. And Superman, 
wakes up from the machine and he's like, I know where to go. Somehow, even though this supercomputer, which is, you know, miles ahead of him when it comes to intelligence, fried itself trying to um, trying to compute some kind of algorithm to find this little girl, Superman did it because he's Superman. And so he goes off and it brings us to part three, which is one of my favorite issues in the entire story. It's a boxing match. It's a straight up boxing match between him and this alien, this basically this alien bounty hunter who was charged by the uh, the race that kidnapped Alice to stop Superman. He confronts Superman. It's kind of told um, in dialogue that he confronts Superman. He's like, hey, we're going to have a boxing match. No superpowers except strength and endurance. And if you win, you know, I will tell you who I am, who hired me, and where you can find Alice. But if I win, you turn back and you go home and you let this go. And so what follows is this boxing match where Superman just takes a beating. It reminds me of the Superham, Superham, <laughs> the Superman versus Muhammad Ali comic, which is just a national treasure that everyone should go out of their way to read. Um, it's just a fantastic story about Superman getting knocked down over and over and over again, looking suspiciously like Sly, Sly Stallone throughout, you know, progressively through this story, he becomes more and more rocky looking. Um, and to the point that, like, it's really kind of not talking about how strong he is, because this guy is obviously just as strong as he is. Um, it comes down to his spirit and his will and these two just keep just pounding the holy hell out of each other until uh this guy is like what is wrong with you like you need to stop like i'm going to beat you and he even knocks superman down more than once but superman keeps getting back up and in the final round or at least near the final round they're just beating the crap out of each other and this guy's like fall you need to fall you're done and superman's like no i'm not I'm not, I'm going to keep going as long, as long as it takes. And the guy just like falls to his knees. He's like, start the count. Like I'm done because he knows that even though they can beat the literal shit out of each other, Superman will continue to go because he has the strength of will to keep going. He has this single minded, um, just directive to find this girl to find alice and nothing is going to stop him and i love that each issue is a different spotlight ah, on <laughs> on a different aspect of superman's character and this brings us to to uh part four which is in an, another incredible story and it's a it i think the actual part is called the healer but what happens is superman while you know traversing this galaxy is struck by something and he is on death's door somehow he is dying and this alien ship scoops him up they find him and the healer is trying to heal him but he knows that eventually if he is successful in healing superman's wounds and he's able to rescue superman from the jaws of death that he will die in his place he will exert all of his abilities to heal and so this issue becomes this um becomes this discussion between him and his wife about what 
obligation he has to Superman because they've never met before. He doesn't know how important Superman is to Earth and really to the entire universe. But over the course of the story, he links minds with Superman and we start to see him connect to Superman in different moments of his life, different moments of his career. And he sees how Superman has not just you know, save the earth, but saved the universe, saved the multiverse multiple times over. And so he keeps having this conversation with his wife because he has a wife and like two or three kids. And he's like, do I have the right to take this person away from a universe that he has saved countless times? And his wife is like, dude, screw him. Like, you are a father. Like, just because you haven't saved the universe doesn't make you any less worth of life. And so they go back and forth and back and forth. And ultimately, the healer decides that he is going to give his life to make sure that Superman survives. And it's incredibly powerful. I was not ready for this story. Um, but I absolutely loved it. I really, really did. Um and at the end of the issue, he gives his life to save Superman. Superman wakes up and he reveals that even as, you know, the healer was dying, their minds connected once more and he was able to give a message to his fam to the healer's family. And it's it's heartbreaking. It's incredible. I love it absolutely. And it really is kind of a um an editorial piece on what Superman means and what it means to have that kind of responsibility. Um, you know, we hear this all the time, especially, you know, if you're a comics fan, especially if you're a Marvel comics fan, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And in this moment, the healer had the power to save Superman and was struggling with the responsibility of it. And he chose to give his life to essentially save the universe because he did exactly what superman does every day he saved the universe by saving superman and i absolutely love that but that brings us to part five which is the controversial one this is the one that ruffled a lot of feathers when this came out and i was the person who i even heard about this i knew about this even though i wasn't reading the book because when this came out this just like pretty much everything that Tom King was writing at the time, ruffled all the feathers, rubbed so many people the wrong way, and had people out in the streets calling for Tom King's head. And it's a heavy issue. I don't disagree with the people that are outraged, because I could easily see how people would describe this as a Lois Lane snuff comic. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but I can see the argument. I can see that perspective on it. Basically, what's happening in this issue is that Superman is sitting at, let's just call it the Space DMV. We'll just call it Space DMV. And he's waiting to get connected to Lois because I guess while Superman has been out traveling, um, he's been connected with Lois through these, you know, interplanetary phone calls. And so he's waiting at this way station for his name to be called so that they could get connected for their phone call. And Superman, for whatever reason, isn't able to get through. Uh, Lois isn't picking up for whatever reason. And so just like any person who has a, you know, a working brain, um, eventually your mind starts to wander. And eventually you start to wonder, why isn't she picking up? Why 
isn't she answering? And Superman starts imagining all of these reasons why she wouldn't be. All of these villains killing her. All of these planes falling out of the sky because he wasn't there to save her. And it becomes this really real and introspective look at how much Superman values Lois and how much he loves her because it starts to he is waiting there for a very long time because he doesn't want to miss this connection because that's that's Lois that's his wife he loves her and the two of them you know don't get very much time to spend with each other and so they are trying to you know stay connected through this phone call or these phone calls however many they have over the course of the story and he is understandably upset because they are supposed to be able to connect and for some reason it's not happening and so his mind starts to wander he's imagining all of these scenarios where Lois Lane is killed over and over and over again because he wasn't there to save her and for me you know this is really um this is really where Tom King kind of shows his hand as a writer. A lot of people, and I've had conversations even recently at the uh, comic shop that I frequent, House of Secrets over in Burbank, um, Tom King writes from his perspective. Tom King is a person that uses his experiences, his um, his knowledge of things, and really puts that into his writing. A lot of times that kind of shows because Tom King is a very human person. You know, as much as people want to disagree with that, calling him a monster for the different things that he's done, you know, Tom King uses his writing as an outlet for his perspective and his experiences of the human experience. And so this really reads to me as... Um, kind of an excerpt of Tom King being deployed in the Middle East because he was, um, he served, he is a, he was part of our, um, our military and he experienced all this stuff. And so him being deployed over there, you know, you get very little, uh, interaction, if any at all with your loved ones back home. And so this read to me immediately as like a deployment story. You know, he's calling, he's waiting to get connected with his wife, and for whatever reason, she isn't able to answer, and his mind starts to wander, like, oh, maybe something happened, maybe, you know, this happened, and this happened, or this happened, or this could have happened, and all these things that I could have prevented if I was there. And as someone who um, is from a military background, this issue really spoke to me. Um, it spoke to me probably more than um, a lot of people uh, who immediately just kind of dismissed this and tossed it away. Um, this story was something that I was uh, keenly aware of and something that really spoke to me as someone who has had someone who was in the military. My father served uh, in the Air Force for a very long time, for most of my life, and... Um, he was deployed during this time. During a lot of my formative years, he was deployed, whether it was the Middle East, whether it was in Europe, you know, because that was where they needed him. And so there would be, you know, times here and there where we would get the chance to, you know, have a phone conversation with him. You don't really know what to say. You don't really know how to be like, hey, how is life treating you? Catch me up on the last, you know, two or three months of your life. And it was something that I had to get used to. And I remember um, 
my mom would share some of these moments where she would feel really paranoid when, you know, he wasn't able to immediately get to the phone or they had to reschedule or, you know, they weren't able to have that conversation. And that fear, that paranoia, that anxiety is something that we all struggle with. I have a lot of anxiety, um, especially with how times are right now, um, everything going on in the world. Um, and I, you know, when I'm having a phone conversation with my partner and she, you know, we're supposed to call and I have, you know, I call her and she's not able to pick up my mind races. Now I am an over thinker just from birth. I am someone who has dealt with and continues to deal with anxiety every day. Um, so maybe that's why I keyed into this so uh, easily, but I thought this was a beautiful story, and the way that it wrapped up was very uh, bittersweet and very sad, because Clark goes through all of this, you know, paranoia and frustration and anxiety, and when he finally gets through to Lois, Lois is basically like, "Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, Perry's been crazy about these deadlines. Blah blah blah. I'm sorry." And Clark's like, "No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just glad to hear your voice." And she's like oh, shit, I have to go, um, something's happening, you know, supervillains attacking downtown, I love you, bye. And she just hangs up, and Superman, oh my god, um, Superman's just kind of, like, left there. You know, they only got maybe 15 seconds to talk, and, you know, there's a little bit of, um, of relief, because you know that your wife is or that his wife is okay and that he is able to kind of take solace in the fact that everything's all right. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't get long enough. You don't get long enough to talk to that person. And, um, like I said, maybe it's my own experiences kind of coloring the way that I, um, that I read it, but I really enjoyed this issue and, um, all of the kind of implications in the real world, um, uh, anxieties that are put into the story. Uh, part six is a completely different story, though, because it involves time travel. At some point during his travels, Superman is knocked through time and back into World War II, which means, you guessed it, Sergeant Rock. Sergeant Rock and Easy Company make an appearance here, and I loved it. Uh, when Superman arrives, he is amnesiac. Uh, he basically, all he knows is that his name is, I don't even know if he knows his name, but he knows he's from Kansas. And so he follows along with Easy Company as kind of, honestly, you know, this kind of war reporter looking guy where he doesn't really have any weapons training. He's basically following, uh, Sergeant Rock and Easy Company as they battle their way through enemy territory. And then when, um, Clark is hit by a grenade, it suddenly, you know, jolts his memory and he's able to help win the battle for Easy Company. And so, um, it was a really nice kind of, um, not as personal, uh, story that was really just kind of fun to watch visually as Sergeant Rock was like dragging this, you know, Kansas farm boy through a battlefield. And I really liked it. And it was a good, you know, moment of brevity after a very serious and heavy issue. Uh, and then we get to part seven, which I really, really enjoyed as well. Um, and this, that's because this is the race. This is the race between uh, Flash and Superman told in flashback. Uh, we don't know exactly who is narrating it, but it's. I feel like it's pretty clear that it's Alice. 
Um, and she's talking about the big race for uh, Superman and Flash. And they're racing for this charity. And as they begin their race, everyone is betting against Superman because Flash is the fastest man alive. And knowing this, Lex Luthor gets involved. He calls the charity and he says, "If you know, I will match whatever you raise and I will double it. Only if Superman wins. Because he knows Superman can't win. And he's like, keep it anonymous until after the race because I don't want to put that pressure on Superman. But he knows, and so does Alice, who's recounting the story, that Superman can hear him. Superman knows that if he wins this race, he will double the amount of money raised by the charity. And not only that, he'll really stick it to Lex Luthor. So he runs as fast as he can. But he you know, tires out because he's not the fastest man alive. The flash is, um, it's pretty, I, you know, it's assumed, I guess that this is Barry Allen. Um, you can say that it's Wally West because this story is kind of out of continuity while still retaining certain, uh, rebirth, um, visual cues and whatnot. But so Superman, you know, he gets tired. There's a moment where he stops because he needs to take a breath and there's this beautiful, uh, I guess, um, deconstruction of Superman that Alice does as this little girl where she's like, you know, it's a contradiction. You know, Superman wants to win the race, but he's not as fast as the Flash is. Um, I want to make sure I get this right, so I'm flipping through my copy of the book. Um, da, 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 da. Here it is. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to quote it. I'm going to read it because I love this. Um where are you uh, okay so this is going to be long but i'm just going to read it um he's a lot of things so many you couldn't even count them like infinity things but like he's not the fastest man alive and flash is so like that so that's that he was going to lose but he knew if he lost all those charities would lose too all that money a billion dollars going from Lex Luthor's pocket into making a better world, so he couldn't lose. So he came to what I like to call a contradiction, which I can spell if you ask me. A contradiction means there are two things that have to be true, though they can't both be true even though they are both true. C-O-N-T-R-A-D-I-C-T-I-O-N. I was watching him then, and I couldn't, and I could tell he wanted to win, and he couldn't. Everyone could tell that. And everyone was saying it was over. He couldn't catch up. People were upset. But I wasn't upset. I was watching. I knew something they didn't know. See, people don't think about things in straight ways sometimes, but I do. I think it's because I've been kind of, like, hurt a lot. My parents, they they weren't so nice, you know. And some of these homes I've gotten hurt there a lot, too. The home I was in then wasn't very good. It was one of those. When you're hurt a lot, but you still have to be doing whatever, you learn something about contradiction and about Superman. Being faster than a speeding bullet is a contradiction, but Superman is faster than a speeding bullet. Being as strong as a locomotive is a contradiction, but Superman is as strong as a locomotive. Leaping tall buildings in a single bound is a contradiction, but Superman leaps tall buildings in a single bound. A person flying is a contradiction. No one can fly. It's impossible. But Superman, he flies. Having hope when there is no hope is a contradiction, but Superman always has hope. The world is full of contradictions. They're stupid and they suck and they stop you when you shouldn't be stopped. When you should be going and when you should be running and running and running and running, you're just stopped in a stupid, sucky contradiction. No matter what you do, how much you try or even cry or even do anything at all, that's 
everything and everything. But, but Superman. But Superman. And I love that. It's this idea that regardless of how, um, how unjust the world can be sometimes, like, all it takes is someone being a contradiction to kind of throw that balance off. And that's what Superman is. You know, she says, you know, being faster than a speeding bullet is a contradiction. But Superman is faster than a speeding bullet. And as that, you know, kind of ramps up, Superman finds the strength to win. And what I love is that afterwards, you know, Lex Luthor, because he made this promise, he has to give up all this money. And he, using that money, they build the Lex Luthor home for displaced children or something like that. And... Um, Alice recounts that in the back of the building near the bathrooms, there's this tiny plaque. Um, there wasn't any attention given to it or whatever, but on this plaque, it just says two words. He won. And I love that Lex Luthor would be so petty that he would just, he would put a reminder there that the only reason he did this is, be, or the only reason I did this was because he won. Um, but yeah, really, really great character beat. And it's the first time that we get to see Alice post-abduction and you see that she's chained up with other alien creatures and that superman needs to find her then we move on to part eight which is a really interesting issue that i don't think a lot of people talk about enough it's called man and superman and basically superman is flying through this um, cosmic storm he gets struck by a lightning bolt and he is separated into clark kent and superman and what I find really interesting is that Tom King takes the time to show you what Superman is without Clark Kent. He shows you this emotionless, you know, brutal, gritty, you know, serious Superman. You know, the Zack Snyder Superman. How a lot of people who want Superman to be. But it shows that the missing component is what makes Superman Superman. And that's this Clark Kent figure that is separated from him. Uh, Clark it basically tells this Superman, like, what the hell is going to happen? Superman's like, well, you know, we can't find this girl. There's no way that we're going to find this girl. It's, you know, logically impossible. So I'm going to set you up here so that you can survive until someone can find you. And then I'm going to go back to Earth. And... Clark is basically like, but what about Alice? And the crux of this issue is finding this balance between the two of them. Um, this Superman is just emotionless. He's like, we can't save her. Like, it's stupid to try. And, and Clark is like, fine, leave then. But I'm going to work as hard as I can to find this little girl because she needs us. And throughout this issue, you kind of you come to find out that they it's kind of impossible for the other superman to leave because you know it it's assumed that he can't leave just because of this i don't know this physical connection that um that superman and clark have uh but superman continues to return to clark even though he keeps trying to leave and he's like he's like i don't understand why i can't leave and clark's basically like we we know why you need my strength and i need your strength and he there's this great line where he says um uh what is it Da, 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 da. I need to find it. I need to find it. I'm, I'm going to keep doing this just because I love a lot of the writing here um, because of this. Da, 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 da. Oh, so he basically says, 
Clark is talking to uh, Superman at this point. Um, and Superman says, this is the attitude of Earth, of Kansas, of Ma and Pa, labeling pride as compassion, faith as certainty. Clark says, yeah, and that's the attitude of Krypton, of limitless strength, of mother and father, labeling compassion as pride, certainty as faith. Superman says, you make me weak. And Clark says, you never made me strong. And I love that the reason that superman has endured the reason that superman continues to persevere throughout the decades of his existence is not because of these amazing powers but it's because of who he is as a person um and the two of them eventually decide like we're gonna go and we're gonna try to you know we're gonna go up there we're gonna get struck by the lightning bolt again and hope that it (laughs) and hope that it restores us um superman says you know if i take you up there it doesn't work like you're dead and clark goes well if we go up there or if you don't take me up there alice is dead so the two of them decide to go up you never see them get struck but you assume that they get struck and they're rebonded but there's this killer exchange at the end where uh superman goes this is idiotic and clark goes this is hope superman says hope is a myth used to motivate men to do what they cannot and Clark says, you know, pal, you almost say that like it's a bad thing. And it's just, it's everything. It's everything that Superman represents. And that's, you know, what really, if anything, shows you that Tom King gets Superman. For all of the criticism of Tom King as a writer, and there's plenty, some that I agree with, some that I don't agree with, Tom King gets Superman. He understands. He gets it. And so that brings us into part nine, which brings us face to face with Darkseid. He and Superman are having this bargain where he basically, you know, tells Superman, I will tell you where to find this girl. But to do that, I want to see you, you know, I want to see you broken. So he says, I want you to kill an innocent person for this information superman knows that he needs this lead from dark side to find alice and if he doesn't find her she's dead but killing an innocent person goes against everything that he stands for so superman travels to this planet where this lone being this lone alien is suffering he's suffering from dementia there's this like i think they represent it as kind of like a tumor he's essentially he's dying from cancer from space cancer and superman goes there and the guy's like oh my god thank you there's an angel here i asked for an angel you've arrived kill me like i'm ready to die i'm ready to die this pain hurts i don't want this to hurt anymore kill me and superman is struggling with this because he's never taken a life he's never especially not an innocent life and so he is trying to figure this out he's trying to decide what to do and he ultimately you know has to keep telling himself alice i have to remember alice and he raises up the blade and then it cuts to superman showing back up on apocalypse and or uh, dark side is like did you do it and superman's like yes and Apoc- or fuck i keep saying that uh dark side is like you're lying like there's no way and superman's like um he's like it doesn't matter if i killed him i've broken my oath and if i'm lying then i've broken my oath either either way you win so tell me where alice is and Darkseid just smiles and it's like this oh it's this great moment of you know the devil trying to make an angel fall and i really i i was here for it this 
um, unwinnable problem, this unwinnable um, conflict that Superman had to wrestle with. And even though it doesn't, you know, explicitly say whether or not what happened in this issue, um, you know that Superman is sacrificing everything that he is to find this little girl. And in part 10, we seemingly get the result of that. Someone's having a conversation with Superman where Superman is basically like living the perfect day. You know, he goes about his business, he wakes up late, but strangely on time, he goes and saves people. He has a great day at the office. Lois is there. Um, Superman testifies and gets Luthor locked away for life. He has a great little lunch with Batman and Wonder Woman. Um, he rescues these kids from what looks like a brainiac playground. Um, and then he spends the evening watching the Earth from the moon with Lois. And this being is basically explaining all of this stuff and from moment to moment throughout this day. And he's like... I could give you all of this, but you have to go home. Go home, forget about all this, and I will help you achieve this perfect day. And Superman's like, yeah, I, I can see it. I can see everything you're describing, but I'm here for Alice, so I'm going to have to decline. And it shows that he's chained up the same way that Alice was. He found the alien uh, kidnappers finally, and... Shit's about to go down, which brings us to issue 11, which might be my favorite part of the entire story. Um, it's a toss up between, I think, this uh, part 12 and maybe I'd have to look through it again. Maybe part one, honestly, because I love part one so much. Um, it's probably it's a three way tie between these three for sure. Um, but this one, it's all out war. What happens is while Superman is chained up, you know, on the other side of the galaxy, the, um, the alien invaders have made their way to Earth. There's an entire army of mechanized, you know, alien invaders, and they're assaulting the Earth while Superman is um, dealing with this trying to save Alice. And the entire issue is framed so wonderfully. I love this so much because Superman is almost reduced to a t a one to two line uh, character in this entire thing. Because parallel to Superman dealing with this um, with this alien abductor, the Justice League and every single DC hero is facing off against the Armada that has arrived on Earth. And so all of this stuff is going on. Uh, there's a throughout this issue, uh, this and we never really actually see the identity of the alien that abducted Alice. But there's this great, you know, every single moment that happens, he puts up like this you know, um, this absolute certainty where he's like, um, you know, the chains that are holding you, they're unbreakable. He's like, you can't break out of this. Do you understand Superman? Do you know what unbreakable means? And Superman breaks out of it, you know, straining at his absolute limit. And he goes, no, sir, I do not. Meanwhile, you know, the Justice League is being overrun while Superman is fighting the um, the mechanized armada that was left on the home planet of this alien. And 
you know, the first big sentry flies at him and it's like, you know, this thing was made, you know, from the best materials and made to be a killing machine. It can stop you. And Superman's like, no, sir, it cannot. Um, the forces are starting to overtake uh, the Justice League and Batman on Earth. Meanwhile, that one robot sentry was not the only one it this creature made it made an entire army that are flying at superman and um he basically says i'm gonna quote this here he's like you may defeat one perhaps but i did not make just one for years i have built this battalion most are currently deployed cracking your world but there are enough here there are enough to defeat you superman and superman goes no sir there are not um everyone's kind of getting overrun um, people are getting just destroyed, and meanwhile, Superman is just barreling through this just army of these uh, drones. And uh, the creature says, you know, despite your powers and your fight underneath, you are them, referring to, like, Earthlings and talking about how weak they are. And he's like, like all of them, you will fall. And he says, no, sir, I will not. We cut back to Earth, and... You know, the heroes are being defeated as this, you know, alien armada is just overrunning the planet. Um, and it cuts back. It cuts back to the alien planet where Superman has decimated this drone army. And I am just going to quote this again because, again, I am loving the writing on this. So it says, uh, no, 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 it's not. I planned. You should be there. Dying there. Talking about you should be dying on Earth. Not here. Why are you here? Because of her? Do you think she's special? She's no one. I took her because she's no one. I fought you not to protect her, but to stop you from finding my army. And so we find out that the reason that Superman faced so much opposition was because the guy, or this, you know, alien creature, this alien fucking whatever, um, wasn't trying to stop him from finding Alice. It was from this army that he was going to utilize to destroy and conquer Earth. So he says, I just needed an earthling to examine, to understand, to calibrate my weapons, to see your weakness. I needed one human, so and so I took one, an insignificant no one, someone for whom no one cared. She's not worth it, not worth any of this. She's not some alien queen or the key to an empire. She's just a stupid girl. No one cares about her. She's worthless. And Superman responds, no, sir, she's not. And with that, Superman destroys like the um, like the main thing, the main mainframe or whatever that ceases the armada, drops them all out of the sky, and you know, Batman rises up out of the rubble and he's like, "Clark did this," and they're like, "How?" And he says, "We were in need," and he's Superman. And then it cuts to Alice, who is chained up in her cell, and she says, Don't worry. Please, please, please. He'll come. I know he will. No matter what happens, we can't give up. We, he wouldn't give up, so we won't either. He's coming. He's coming, and I, I'm going home. And then Superman, uh, getting choked up? I'm getting choked up. Uh, Superman busts through the wall, and he says, Yes, ma'am, you are. And, oh, they do so much with Superman. You know, they've... A lot of this story has been introspective. A lot of it has been a character study on who Superman is. And this issue, even though it's strange for me who always talks about, you know, we don't have to have a gigantic Superman fight. My pitch it for Superman, probably my favorite, one of my favorite, if not my favorite episode I've ever done on this podcast, episode 100. Go back, check it out if you haven't 
uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, there is no giant climactic battle. The climactic scene of the film is him trying to stop a train. And, like, I don't need a huge Superman battle. But this, you know, Superman is tearing through this entire, you know, alien planet to find this little girl. Um, it might be my favorite issue because this is Superman. This is Superman fighting tooth and nail to rescue this little girl all the while arguing against improbability it harkens back to the contradictions um to the contradictions monologue that alice gives in issue i think six or seven one of them where she talks about you know he's a contradiction he isn't supposed to be able to do this stuff but he does because he's superman and all of those no sir i will not no sir they will not just reduces superman to being this force of good like who will not stop who will not tire because he knows what he is doing is just and at the end when he finally gets to her after 11 issues after 11 parts after all of this you know tragedy after all of the stuff that he's gone through after all the hardship he's gone through after all the trauma that this little girl's experienced he's finally found her she says i'm going home and he says yes ma'am you are and i just oh waterworks absolute waterworks i love this part it is so so freaking good and so that brings us to the conclusion this brings us to part 12 the final part which is um a conversation i know it sounds anticlimactic but it is incredible because the entire uh finale of this story is just a conversation between uh superman and alice because throughout this entire journey superman has kind of been on his own so now he's taking advantage of the fact that he has someone to talk to and it also you know helps to keep this little girl preoccupied by this conversation so the two of them are having this conversation and he's like you know that basically answering all of these all of these questions that she's always wanted to ask him. So like, she's asking him like how his powers work and he's answering her. And, uh, there's a moment where we get the, uh, resolution from the dark side issue where we find out that Superman didn't kill the creature. He saved its life. He rescued it. And so, um, da, 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 th this again, it's Superman. So I'm going to quote this here. Um, she's, she says, why was he crying? Some people cry when they're happy. Why was he happy? He was sick. He thought he was going to die and he didn't. She says, why didn't he die? Did you find the cure? Is that why he was saying thank you? He says, yes. Was it hard to find the cure? Yes. Why did you help him? Because he needed it. Don't other people need help? They do. And here's the kicker. Are you going to help everyone? He says, no. But I'm going to try. And like... Oh, it just, it harkens back to, it's a beautiful narrative echo, just like George Lucas loves. It rhymes, it harkens all the way back to the first issue where, you know, Lois says, you can't save everyone. And he says, but maybe I could save her. It matters not to him how much, how many people he saves. It matters how hard he tries to save them. And... All this issue is, is like I said, a conversation between the two of them. There's this great, there's this great moment where they're talking about Batman. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this again. I know this, this wasn't supposed to be like a read along with Eric, but I just, I love this. I really do. Uh, so, so this is going to be just going back and forth between Alice and Superman. Okay. If you and Batman fought, who would win? The Joker. I'm serious. For real. Who would win? Batman. 
For real? For real. Aren't you stronger and faster and you have laser eyes and he doesn't? Yes. So you would win? No, he would win. Do you even know what you're saying? I do. How would he win? I'd let him. What? Why? If you knew Batman, you'd know it would mean a lot to him. So? He's gone through a lot. He deserves some happiness. Don't you deserve happiness? Winning fights doesn't make me happy. What does? My family, my work, my dog. This. This? You, Alice. Talking to you. Seeing that you're good. That makes me happy. More than beating Batman? Yes. A lot more. Just, I, just, oh! Tom King solved the, the unsolvable problem of who would win, Batman or Superman. I just, I love it. Of course. Of course. Uh, there's a moment where, like, they're confronted by this giant, like, sentry thing. And, you know, it's, let me see here, it's Spurlick the Unconquered. And he describes him as someone who, uh, he kills travelers and feeds on their energy. And he, and uh, Alice is like, he sounds like a bad guy. Is he a bad guy? Superman says, yes. She's like, are you going to fight him? He's like, yeah. She's like, he's very big. He's like, yeah. She says, I'm scared. Are you scared? And he goes, No. And he just flies at him. And I'm like, oh, it's just, it's it's so good. It's so good. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, there's a great uh, moment where he's at a diner and he's talking to Alice. And she's like, do you believe in God? And he's like, my mom and pa did. You know, I went to church growing up and all that stuff. And he's, and she says, you know, what, what does that mean? Like, that's not a yes or no question. And he says, ma and pa had faith in the glory of the eternal. And I have faith in ma and pa. And it's, oh, it's just, oh, it's great. And she says, you know, what should I have faith in? And he says, you should have faith that it's not as bad as it looks. In fact, in the end, it's pretty good if you're willing to give it a chance. And even though, like, he's clearly referring to this weird alien sandwich that she's eating at this diner, it's also, it's life. It's life. It's never as bad as it looks. It's going to be good in the end if, you, if you're willing to give it a chance. So um, the rest of this is just him having this conversation, you know, all the way through. There's a moment where he talks about his favorite Robin. She asks who it is. And he's like, I like all of them. And she's like, no, come on. And he says, and he, you know, admits that Dick Grayson is his favorite, um, which as a Lex Luthor or uh, as a Dick Grayson fan, I love. Uh, there's a Lex Luthor thing where she's like, you know, did you really make Lex Luthor bald? And he's like, that's what he thinks. She's like, and that's why he hates you? And he says he hate he says he hates me because I show the world the limitations of humanity. She says, but it's really the bald thing? And he's like, yeah, probably. And so, like, all of this, I don't want to, like, just read this for you line for line. Um, but, like, honestly, I want you to, like, read this. It's so fantastic. But the conversation, you know, continues all the way through this part, all the way through. We don't see anything following this, but he finally gets gets her home he gets her at this um i'm assuming at the uh the lex luthor you know home for displaced children and um this is gonna be the last time last time i read from it but um he says uh this is a good place these are good people they'll find you a good home and if you need if you ever need me ever just just talk and i'll hear you and i'll come she says okay he says no more questions did you think there'd be more you always surprise me. I bet you thought I'd ask you why. Why you went all up in the sky. Why you left everything behind to save me. But that's a stupid question. I'm not going to ask it because I already know why. You do? Yeah. It's not, like, hard. It's just, you're Superman. 
And it's like, oh, it's, I, again, I know it's, I know I, I have like a predisposition to like everything that's Superman. Um, and maybe I'm looking through it through rose colored glasses. Maybe I'm looking through it as a Superman fan and seeing things that maybe the writer didn't intend, but I just, this is what it's like to have someone writing Superman who knows Superman. And as someone who was pushed away from the main Superman title because of Bendis, it means the world to me to find someone who knows how to write Superman. This paired with like Superman smashes the clan from last year, just perfection, perfection. I love it so freaking much. So that brings us to the conclusion. Um, overall, what did I think of the story? Why do I think it matters? Um, honestly, I just, I love the fact that Tom King gets Superman. Tom King has gotten a lot of shit. Tom King has gotten a lot of shit for the past few years just because he makes choices that not everybody agrees with. Do I agree with all of his choices? No, absolutely not. There are certain things that really rub me the wrong way about his writing. But what I love about Tom King is that he decides to make the hard choices for characters who haven't been put through those hard choices before. Whether or not it works for the story is another question. Um, but I love the idea that he's willing to test people. He's willing to test not just readers, but test the characters. He's willing to see what they're really made of, get down to the core of them and what, um, and try to answer questions that we haven't had before. You know, I, the entire final part of this is just a series of questions and answers where Superman gives his honest opinion on things and, you know, in the hands of anybody else, you know, giving their, you know, what their opinions would be on this stuff, I would be like, oh, well, that's how that writer views things and he's just using Superman as an analog to get that out. But reading this alongside reading the entire story, that's Superman. He would go across an entire galaxy to rescue one little girl. He would risk everything to save one person. And it just, it makes me have faith in the idea that DC still cares about Superman. It might not seem like it. And I myself as a classic Superman fan, um, doubt it all the time, but this story really shows that DC Comics knows what makes a good Superman story, knows what makes Superman tick, and this story is classic Superman on display. This is classic Superman doing everything that Superman would be able to do and would be willing to do and just puts it on display for all the world to see. Um, and this is a story that you could adapt. Oh my god. Like, this is a story that... Um, I could easily be, I could easily see them making into an HBO Max series. You make this a 12 part, or even if you want to do it like the actual issues did, because the issues, uh, there are 12 parts of the story, but there were only six issues because each issue had two parts. If you want to do it that way, you could, I feel like you could make each episode standalone to get you a full 12 episodes. This is why we, this is the perfect place to put Brandon Routh with his older version of Superman going across the galaxy for this. You know HBO has the budget to do it. Don't tell me they don't. They're going to be doing an entire Green Lantern series, which has to have space elements. Have it cross over with this, for God's sake. You know, you have the Green Lanterns show up in the very first issue talking about how, like, hey, we've put out, you know, this call to try and find her. 
have them cross over fuck it like make it happen because this story is a fantastic classic superman story that in the right hands in the hands of people who understand superman and in the hands of brandon routh reprising his role from uh crisis on infinite earths um it could be magic it could be the modern classic superman story of our time um i am I don't think this is a, you know, unpopular opinion, though it feels like it sometimes. I still think that Christopher Reeve is the best Superman we've had live action. Um, I still think that Superman, the very first Superman film, even though there are problems with it and it doesn't age very well, is still the best live action interpretation of the character that we've gotten. If you did Brandon Routh in a 12 episode series adapting this story you could have the best Superman live-action story that we've gotten since the original Christopher Reeve Superman film. Bar none. I would stake my reputation on it. Um, it's just a fantastic story. I really think it's something that is not just easy to digest, easy to adapt if they wanted to do, but it's something that really strikes at the core of who Superman is. Um Tom King has gotten a lot of shit for not supposedly understanding characters and driving people away from reading comic books. But if this comic is anything to go by, Tom King knows what he's doing. Tom King makes the bold choices because even though he won't, you know, get a home run every single time, every so often... Tom King will be that pinch hitter to knock it into the stands. And this book, this book represents Tom King stepping up to the plate, being thrown a fastball, and knocking that ball up into the sky. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode 12 of Harley Quinn season 2 entitled Lover's Quarrel. Uh, last week we left off with a cliffhanger of a mind-controlled poison ivy attacking Harley Quinn. And that is exactly what ends up happening uh and paying off in this episode so i really really enjoyed this episode overall it was really really good um we didn't get the initial uh payoff for harley versus ivy because they end up escaping pretty quickly but what i really enjoyed about this and i didn't think i was going to um i don't know get this or whatever but we got to see the justice league in action i thought that was pretty cool because like now that they're out of the um out of the storybook, they are able to fight back against the parademon forces. And really, I think it put the emphasis on just the Trinity. I don't know if, I don't remember if we saw like Aquaman or Flash or Green Lantern in this episode, but I remember definitely seeing um, the Trinity there. So I thought it was pretty cool. There's moments where like they were fighting off against, you know, parademons and also fighting the mind controlled uh members of harley's crew uh we got a shark repellent sighting uh batman was gonna use the shark repellent on king shark but was uh 
unable to do so. And then there's a moment where I think the uh, the parademon, they're like, you know, what's going on? How do we stop this? And the parademon is just like, and Wonder Woman like looks at Superman and Superman's like, oh, you just assume that just because I'm an alien, I just, I know what they're saying. And Wonder Woman just continues to look at him and he's like, okay, maybe I know a little bit, but it's still a racist assumption and I think you should not do that next time. And I just really <laughs> liked it. I just, I don't know. I, I've talked a lot about Superman this episode and I, I like kind of seeing him uh, both at his finest moments, like in Superman Up in the Sky and also in moments where his he's kind of caught with his pants down, so to speak. But I really enjoyed it. But what I really, really enjoyed was my boy Kite Man. Kite Man has been one of the greatest characters in the entire show. Uh, I loved that he kind of got bumped up, so to speak, to uh, series regular for season two. And him trying to work on the uh, the mind control dampener with Psy, who is back as Psy the AI. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really good. Their back and forth was really nice. And Kite Man saving Harley from Ivy at the beginning of the episode I thought was really cool as well. Uh, we did get a big old showdown between the Trinity versus... Um, Psycho's mind-controlled villains. So Batman went up against Clayface, Wonder Woman fought King Shark, and Superman fought Poison Ivy. I really liked all the action. The action has been a big, strong suit of the show. This, I mean, the show doesn't have a whole lot of uh, weaknesses, to be honest with you, but one of the big, strong points has been the action, and this really did the trick. It really, um, for those of you who have been, you know, kind of commenting about, oh, I liked the first season better because it was more about kicking ass and less about the melodrama. This episode is for you because there was plenty of action to be had with this episode. Uh, and then that all kind of cum culminates with, uh, Darkseid arriving. Darkseid has returned to claim the head of either Harley or, uh, Dr. Psycho and, Oh boy, was it cool. It's still cool hearing uh, Michael Ironside's voice playing Darkseid. I just, I love it so much. I really, really do. Um, and then we got the um, the controversial, at least for me, because I love Kite Man, uh, moment where he tried to break Psycho's um, mind control with True Love's Kiss. And he kisses Ivy, and she knocks him out, and then Harley gets the opportunity, and she kisses Ivy, and it breaks the mind control. So, True Love's Kiss did, in fact, save the day, as hokey as it sounds, but um, Harley was able to break the mind control of Ivy. Ivy subdues Dr. Psycho and defeats him. Darkseid, for some reason, is like... You are, it's like you have proved yourself even more than when we last met. My armies are for you. And Harley's like, I don't want this. And Darkseid's like, all right then. Well, I shall return at a later date and rain down holy hell on all of you. And then he just leaves. But um, the big gut punch happened at the very end of the episode because everything's, you know, kind of resolved. Kite Man wakes back up. Um just after Harley like kind of pours her heart out she's like maybe this is, isn't gonna work but I love you and I want this to work and before Ivy can answer Kite Man wakes up and he's like did I do it did True Love's Kiss do it and then Dr. Psycho gets the last laugh because he projects for all of Gotham to see 
Ivy, essentially Ivy and Harley sex tape. Um, because he was uh, mind controlling Ivy, he poked around inside of her, um, inside of her mind, inside of her memories without her consent. And um, yeah, so it's on the on display for the whole world to see. And the episode ends with you know Doctor Psycho laughing his ass off, and then Harley, Ivy, and a completely just dumbstruck kite man left speechless. And so that is how the episode wrapped up. Uh, next week is the finale for season two. Uh, the creators have said before that they always envisioned this as one complete story, that season one and season two were originally going to be just the first season as a whole. I don't know if a season three is coming, but I think as a self-contained story, they've done a great job with it. I don't know how next week's going to wrap up because you know that Harley and Ivy truly love each other and that things are not going to end so well from a boy kite man. And so I'm very sad. I'm very sad. Um, cause I love, I love that kite man and I know that he's just going to get his heart broken, but we will see next week. So join me for, uh, next week's weekly review where we will wrap up Harley Quinn season two. And I will announce what we are going to be reviewing next. Really looking forward to it. And I'm really excited about what we're reviewing next as well. But now we're going to roll right on into this week's comics callback. Welcome to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where I talk about five comics that I think you should go back and read. Uh, Whether that's going on Comixology, whether it's pulling up the DC Universe app, or just going back to your shelf and dusting off your old copy of the book. Last week, I talked about five comics honoring the late, great Denny O'Neill. This week, category is Tom King. That's right. To kind of piggyback off of our main course this episode, we are celebrating Tom King because with all the shit that he gets on a regular basis, I don't think he's celebrated enough. So we're going to be talking about five books to check out by Tom King from various artists and various books that he's done. Uh, Let's go ahead and just dive into it. The first one's kind of cheating because it's a book that's out right now. That's not necessarily a callback issue, but it's a book that I'm really interested in. I just recently picked up issue two of it, and I think you should definitely check it out if you're a fan of Tom King's writing. And that is Strange Adventures. This is written by Tom King. With our by both Mitch Jareds and one of my favorites, Doc Evan Shaner. Um, it's a fantastic book. The first two issues have given you, it's pretty much, if you're a fan of Tom King's writing, you're going to love this. If you're not a fan of Tom King's writing, it's not going to change your mind. But what I really love about this book is that it toys with something that we haven't seen yet when it comes to Tom King's. Um, Tom King's writing that we have two main protagonists, which I'm really excited to talk about. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis, and then we will talk about the book. Adam Strange is the hero of Ran, a man famous throughout the galaxy for his bravery and honor. After leading his adopted home to victory in a great planetary war, 
Adam and his wife Alana retire to Earth, where they are greeted by cheers, awards, and parades. But not all is as happy and nice as it seems, as the decisions Adam made during Battles on Ran come back to haunt his family and threaten the entire DC Universe. And now a surprise DC hero will have to choose between saving Adam Strange and saving the world. That second surprise DC hero is Mr. Terrific. I'm sorry, I know, if you didn't know, it's a spoiler, but I am really excited about this, because I don't think Mr. Terrific gets enough love. He's a great character, and I love that this book is showing representation. You know, we don't get a lot of um, African-American leads when it comes to Tom King's books, so I'm glad that we are including this, and that... um, Essentially, we're going to be utilizing Mr. Terrific as this uh, polygraph private detective to to kind of discern what is true and what's fake. So I really like this. It's a great story. The art is stunning, utilizing art by both uh, Shaner and Jared's. Shaner doing kind of the almost propaganda-y wartime stuff while Jared's is doing all the Earthbound stuff. I really, really like it, and I think it's something you should definitely check out out next up we have a one shot that tom king wrote it is batman elmer fudd special number one i know his batman run has been you know polarizing to say the least but this is an issue that i think has been just overwhelmingly loved all across the board uh written by tom king with art by lee weeks another favorite of mine um This book's just fantastic, so let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. After a chance meeting with billionaire Bruce Wayne, Elmer Fudd's obsession quickly escalates into stalking Batman through the dark alleys and high-class social settings of Gotham City. Welcome to Bat Season. So, I love this. They take a character like Elmer Fudd and give him just the Tom King treatment. I love it so much. It's a great one-shot story. Um, this was actually the only uh, Batman Looney Tunes crossover that sold out. I couldn't find a copy of it anywhere. I had to read it on the DC Universe app. So that would be the place to go if you have that app and you want to read this book. It is so, so freaking good. Next up, we have one of my favorite comics of all time, which is Mr. Miracle. I love it so much. It's fantastic. Uh, written by Tom King, art by Mitch Jarrods. You have heard me heap praises upon praises for this book. I love it so much. It's a fantastic story about trauma, about anxiety, about depression, and all of those things juggled with an interplanetary war. So I, it's right up Tom King's alley, obviously, but it was also right up my alley as well. I really, really like it. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Scott Free is the greatest escape artist who ever lived. So great that he escaped Granny Goodness's gruesome orphanage and the dangers of Apocalypse to travel across galaxies and set up a new life on Earth with his wife, the formal female fury known as Big Barda. Using the stage alter ego of Mr. Miracle, he has made a career for himself showing off his acrobatic escape techniques. He even caught the attention of the Justice League, which counted him among its ranks. You might say Scott Free has everything. So why isn't it enough? Mr. Miracle has mastered every illusion, achieved every stunt, pulled off every trick except one. 
He has never escaped death. Is it even possible? Our hero is going to have to kill himself if he wants to find out. So I just, oh, I love this book. You know how much I love this book. I did an entire episode. Um, it was kind of, it was one of our pre-spotlight spotlight episodes, an episode very similar to the episode that we did this week. Um, you can go back in the archives, check it out. Um, it was one of the first of its kind. I even did like a specialty intro for it which I really liked. Um, I love this book so much. It's harrowing, it's real, it's gritty, but at the same time, it's hopeful. You know, the book ends... I don't want to tell you how it's how it ends if you've never read it, but um, it's just a fantastic character study and a, and a book that, as someone who struggles with anxiety, who struggles with depression, really spoke to me. And if you struggle with these things, it might speak to you too. Next up, we have probably the first time I ever read a book involving Tom King, and this is Grayson the Super Spy. Uh, I love this so much. Uh, this is written, this is co-written by Tom King and Tim Seeley, with art by Mikkel Janine. Um, this was my, I think this was my first exposure to Tom King, because this was uh, before I had read Vision. And I just love this so much. You know how much I love Dick Grayson as a character, and this was right up my alley. This was post uh, Forever Evil, where he was, you know, supposedly killed off and was put into essentially this uh, James Bond-esque, you know, genre shift story where he went from being a superhero uh, on the streets of Bloodhaven to becoming a world-traveling super spy. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As Robin, he was the Dark Knight's partner and protege. As Nightwing, he forged a heroic legacy of his own. And when vicious killers invaded our dimension, he sacrificed his secret identity and his life to save the world. At least, that's what the world believes. To the heroes, villains, and ordinary citizens of Earth, Dick Grayson is dead. But death is the perfect cover story for an agent of Spiral. As the newest member of this top-secret spy ring, Grayson helps scour the globe for the pieces of the Paragon, a slain god whose every organ is a weapon of mass destruction. But he's also Batman's man inside Spiral, uncovering their secrets even as they strive to uncover the secret identity of every superhero on the globe. His life as he knew it is over. His loyalty is divided like never before. Now it's time for Dick Grayson to discover who he really is is so i loved this i didn't like the um the initial story of forever evil when they supposedly killed dick grayson but when they told me when they you know kind of let out you know grayson is going to be you know nightwing is going to turn into grayson it's going to be the super spy epic i was on board because dick grayson as a traveling um circus born kid you know gets itchy feet, and I always liked the idea of Nightwing traveling. That's what I liked so much about the Nightwing uh, New 52 series, because it showed him traveling from Gotham to Bloodhaven to uh, Chicago and all over the place. And so I really, really dug this. It's definitely something that people don't talk about enough, but the people who do talk about it have only good things to say about it. It's a great story that really kind of shows you what Batman's training gives you outside of the element of superheroics. And it's also a great character study for 
uh, for Dick Grayson, which Tom King has always excelled at. But the big book, the book that um, I have to recommend as a must read, you know what it is, it's The Vision. Um, written by Tom King, art by uh, Gabriel Walta. This is a fantastic story about a character who not a lot of people gave a shit about. In the same way that Mr. Miracle fulfilled that same uh, prompt. And this story weaves this incredible narrative of a man trying to find his humanity and find out if he has a soul along with this intrigue, this um, this uh, ominous, like, predisposed narration. It's really, really cool. And as kind of the shining beacon of Tom King's time writing at Marvel, I think it stands as a fantastic story. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Vision wants to be human. And what's more human than family? So he heads back to the beginning, to the laboratory, where Ultron created him as a weapon. The place where he first rebelled against his given destiny and imagined that he could be more. That he could be a man. There, he builds them. A wife, Virginia. Teenage twins, Viv and Vin. They look like him. They have his powers. They share his grandest ambition. Or is that obsession? The unrelenting need to be ordinary. Behold the visions. Theirs is a story of togetherness and tragedy, one that will send the android Avenger into a devastating confrontation with Earth's mightiest heroes. Now this is what happens when you take a character that everyone is like, duh, we don't really know what to do with him, and you craft one of the greatest superhero tragedies of all time. It's personal, it's tragic, it's gnaw-bitingly tense there are moments in here that are genuinely suspenseful and moments that i jumped out of my seat when reading them it's a fantastic again i keep saying this but it's something that tom king does so well it's a fantastic character study on what it means to be the vision what it means to have a vision what it means to try as hard as you can to be normal when everything about you just isn't and i love that this is going to be also if you're a fan of the mcu and you're looking forward to wandavision which is coming out this year question mark question mark um this is being heavily heavily referenced in the wandavision at least the um the trailers trying to make a you know ordinary life for extraordinary people so definitely pick this up especially if you're a fan of marvel especially if you're a fan of the mcu and especially if you're a fan of good comic books all of these books are definitely ones to check out uh, to recap we've got strange adventures we've got batman elmer fudd special mr miracle grayson the super spy and the vision uh tom king overall like i said and i talked about it in our um our main segment as well uh is a very polarizing writer either you hate him or you like him and i happen to be in the camp of liking tom king um, as I've said before, I don't agree with everything he's done. Uh, I don't, you know, worship at the altar of King, but I really do like Tom King. I met Tom King. He's a great guy. I met him at WonderCon last year, and it's just... When people talk about, oh, you know, Tom King doesn't know what he's talking about, Tom King doesn't know how to write good comic books, I will hold up any of these five books and tell them, read them, and then come back to me. 
And that brings us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, I would really appreciate if you could give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do give us a five-star rating and review, I will read them live on this podcast. We currently have only one, and I have read it, and I would love to read more. So please feel free to do that. It helps me out, helps the podcast out, gets us up and out into the orbit of listeners just like you. Uh, This week's been kind of crazy. Um, this past weekend was Father's Day. Once again, shout out to all the great fathers. Um, I hope everyone had a great and safe weekend. The world's kind of crazy right now. Um, I'm dealing with some stuff with the reopening of, uh, Los Angeles and all the stuff that's going on there. Um, it's been stressful to say the least and all the, you know, just how the world is constantly burning and on fire and I try to find solos in comic books where they are also on fire. But honestly, it's been fantastic. I've been really enjoying um, getting to commit more time to the podcast, getting com- to commit more time to uh, my voiceover work. I have a website now. I I might have talked about it. I probably did already, but I have a website. You can go to Eric Azana. That's A-E-R-I-C, Azana, A-Z-A-N-A.com. Check it out. I've got all of my acting stuff on there, both on camera, voiceover. I've got some theater stuff there as well. Um, you can reach me on there. Uh, feel free to give us a follow on uh, Instagram and Twitter at GeekSplainPod. That's at GeekSplainPod. Uh, feel free also to send in questions, send in um, your comments. I would love to also, you know, bring a mailbag uh, to this podcast. We've experimented with it a couple times, and I've had some really great questions that people have written in. So feel free to do so. I would love to answer questions about anything. Uh, especially comic books. So feel free to do that. You can send those to geeksplained at gmail.com. Next week, next week, we are rolling right on into July. I'm really excited. Um, Next week is also going to be... I'm going to figure this out, but I think uh, next week is going to might just be our final um, comics callback for uh, the podcast for now because more uh, comics are starting to become readily available. Um, I'm going to kind of take a look at the comics forecast going through July because if uh, not many comic books are coming out, um, I might continue this on, but more comics have been coming out over the past month and some comics that I'm really excited about to pick up. So, um, I'll keep that monitor and I'll keep you all informed. Um, I'll also be dropping our, our new, uh, weekly review, uh, what, Our focus is going to be on following Harley Quinn Season 2. Really excited about that. So look forward to that next week. I'm really excited about next week's episode. It's an episode that I've been working on really hard. An episode that I've been waiting to put out. An episode that is going to feature a guest that I have been wanting to get on the podcast for a very long time. And it's a conversation that I think is not just um, really interesting, but also really current and relevant. So uh, look forward to that next week. We're going to be kicking off July with an all-American episode. You can take from that what you will. Um, So look forward to that. Really excited to share that with you all. So uh, next week, be there or be square. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. (laughs)